Pastor Brent, if you're new, it's good to be with you today. So uh, we are uh, going to be taking a break. If you've been with us for a little while, we've been doing a series in the Gospel of John called Full of Grace and Truth. And we're going to be taking a, a short break from that in March as we lead up to our annual meeting and Vision Sunday on March 26th. And so what I want to do during this month is underline the central purpose of why we exist as a church. And if you don't know, our mission statement, I'll put it on the screen here, our mission statement is that we exist to glorify God by enjoying and loving Him, loving others, and leading people to become devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And in other words, this is the great commandment and the great commission put into a sentence. And it crystallizes what the church across all time and, and at this moment across all of the world, what all churches are called to, it's that we need to love God supremely, love others sacrificially, and we're called to be a disciple-making church that brings the message of the gospel to our community and then applies it in our own daily lives. And so if, if, as we've been moving ahead through, um, as a church, through a, this gospel-centered mission of what we're doing, one of the, the core convictions that has, has really crystallized for us, and you've heard us start to talk about this here, is a concept that we're calling disciple by doing. And, and we're developing this idea uh, ourselves or, or trying to find a way to understand how do we effectively make disciples in the post-Christian world. And, and, and what we're going to do is, is, is this next few months roll out is you're going to see some pilot projects come out that do this disciple by doing uh, a strategy or philosophy in the coming months. So uh, stay tuned for that. But what I want to do this morning and then throughout the next few weeks is explain more of what this is and help us to understand it from a biblical point of view. So disciple by doing is a vision for making disciples that takes the truth of God, the truths of God, the message of the gospel, and the goals of spiritual growth and maturity, and makes it come alive through the hands-on activities of everyday life. You see, friends, we live in a fragmented, distracted, lonely, humanistic, self-centered world. We're, we're often told that truth is relative, that you're, you're entitled to your self-made meaning, that, that the earth we live on is a, a hunk of space dust randomly hurtling through a purposeless universe. And, and what we need, what people in our culture, what we need is we need to see that there's purpose, there's beauty, there's a, a, a design and a designer there is a, 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 there is a transcendent reality. There is a personal God who has fashioned you and loves you and has created you for his glory. And disciple by doing is a, a way of putting the pieces back together of our fragmented and re relativistic world. It's not only taking the, and teaching the concepts of God's truth in scripture, but making it come alive as his truth, his beauty, and his goodness are seen and known as we get our hands dirty and experience life together through the eyes of faith and through the lens of the kingdom of God. And you know where it starts? It starts with recognizing that every part of our lives needs to come under the lordship of Jesus. Every single part of you. It begins with the realization that we need a whole life, wholehearted discipleship. 
And this series that we're going to do in March is going to use the greatest commandment. We're going to walk through what Jesus describes as the greatest commandment uh, that is a launching point to describe a whole life discipleship and, and a vision that encompasses every aspect of who we are, loving God with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. So today, I'm just going to walk you through what the next few weeks looks like. Today, we're going to be talking about, and we'll use this order of heart, soul, mind, and strength to go through the next four weeks. Today, we're going to talk about loving God with all our heart, which is about reordering our loves, reordering what we love, who we love. And then next week, uh, Pastor Steve's going to preach on uh, loving God with all your soul, redefining our identity, securing Christ, and living in that reality. And then March 19th, we'll talk about loving God with all your mind, which is discovering, rediscovering what's true, uh, understanding God's truth and, and what that means and how that guides us. And then the last uh, week on our Vision Sunday, we'll talk about loving God with all of our strength, about repatterning our lives and seeing how God uh, wears new grooves, puts new paths, helps us to, to walk in new ways as we follow him. So that's, that's what the next few weeks looks like. And we'll walk through that heart, soul, mind, and strength and talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Okay, so here's what we're going to do today. Let's jump right into our passage. Open with me to Mark chapter 12. Grab your Bible, Mark 12, starting in verse 28. If you need a copy, raise your hand. Always love to give you an opportunity to see the scriptures for yourselves and hold that, that Bible in your hand and, and read along with me. Um, we're going to be looking at Mark, 28, uh, Mark 12, 28 to 34, and we're going to set the foundation for this series by focusing on the most important aspect of discipleship, that we are to love God with everything we've got. So as we look at this passage, you need to know that in the context of the gospel of Mark, Jesus is being confronted by the religious leaders just weeks before he's crucified. And it's a clarifying moment here where Jesus makes it abundantly clear what's expected of a disciple. So let's read our passage. Mark 12, 28 to 34. Hear this conversation between Jesus and one of the teachers of the law. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And then no one dared to ask him any more questions. I love the ending of that. <laughs> Can you imagine this moment? They've been debating and Jesus keeps answering. And there's a moment where it's like, I'm done. Like, I don't know what else to ask him. <laughs> what well, this is, this is Jesus. This is his discipleship, his theological mic drop. 
Like, this is it. This is the most important thing that we can wrap our minds around when, it, when we talk about following the Lord. And so here's what we want to do, how we're going to tackle this passage. I'd like to walk through what is going on in this conversation between Jesus and this teacher of the law. Then dig deeper to understand the background of this statement. And then describe how that applies as a wholehearted, whole life discipleship. What it looks like for us today, okay? So let's just jump right in to talk about this greatest commandment. So go back to verse 28. If you're looking right at the beginning of our text today, look at what this teacher of, law, teacher of the law asks Jesus. Okay, he, he, he joins this debate that's going on, and he saw that Jesus was giving good answers. And so look at the, look at the quote here. It says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, this isn't an arbitrary or novel question, okay? This was a hotly debated topic in the Jewish world for, actually, for years, for generations. And they would ask this question, especially in the first century, of which commandments are the most important. Now, you need to understand, there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament Torah. 613 and so uh, there was, it was common in the Jewish religious leaders to make distinctions between what they would call lighter laws or heavier laws or what they would call smaller or greater. And they were trying to say which ones is there a, a heavier weightiness or emphasis and which ones were still commands and laws but maybe were a little bit on the, the smaller side or more uh, uh, over here. And so this distinction became a source of debate between Pharisees and Sadducees and all the scribes and teachers of the law, especially in the first century. Now this hierarchy... This is where it got really sideways, okay? This hierarchy of the weightiness of the laws became a way to establish norms of legalistic behavior. It was a way of, of allowing an evaluation of who was less or more sinful or out of line. And so you could say, well, it was only like a little one. Or it was like, wow, you messed up on a, a weighty one. And, and it was a way of sort of evaluating and, and posturing with people. And so what this, what this teacher of the law is trying to do is see just where does Jesus land and how can I back him into a corner on whether he says, and he's, he's going to sort of play this game with us. And what Jesus does, he doesn't play by those rules, okay? His response encompasses a whole life discipleship that touches every part of who you are. Heart, soul, mind, strength. And what he does here is he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema, the hear, O Israel. And so here's what we need to ask. Why? Like why would he, why would he go draw back to this moment in Deuteronomy and quote from this chapter? See, another aspect of what you need to know, especially in first century Judaism when Jesus is, is there, is devoted Jews would use this verse as a prayer and a confession of faith every morning and every evening. And the evidence of this goes at least a couple hundred years before Jesus. And it was common that they would, they would uh, recite this on a regular basis, and it continues often today for some Orthodox Jews. So here's what I want to do, is go back to Deuteronomy 6 to look at the background and talk about this text and understand why Jesus would quote it as the greatest commandment. So if you're in your Bible and you actually want to go with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you can go back to the first few books of your Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay? 
And, and turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. And I want to I explain a little of what's going on here. Now, the book of Deuteronomy was the farewell speech of Moses immediately before the Israelites enter the promised land. And in chapter 5, Moses had just restated the Ten Commandments. And so now in chapter 6, Moses turns to speak to the people like a pastor. He, 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 comes, he comes to them with this, with this uh, pastoral heart to say, okay, here's what God commands. Now, what are we going to do with this? And he goes deeper and describes the heart behind the commandments by, by casting a vision for a wholehearted devotion to God. So here's what I want to do. I just want to read Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, and let you see what Jesus quoted for yourself. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Okay, let's stop there. This is a, like an all-encompassing, whole-life vision for following God. Did you notice some of the language that's there that sort of sets things uh, against each other or, or kind of gives that full, all-encompassing? There's a couple uh, uh, images that are given here that I want you to see. One of them is, is this, this whole-life devotion to God. It, it does not matter where you go. Do you see the language here? It talks about sitting and walking. It says whether you talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road. No matter where you go, this is to be on your hearts and impressed upon you and all the people you love and know. Okay, that's one. No matter where you go, it's about God. The other one is no matter what time of day. When you walk along the road, it says then when you lie down or when you get up. Whether it's nighttime and you're going to bed. Or whether it's the morning when you get up and you walk through the whole day. No matter what time, no matter where you go, the key is that this encompasses everything. And this is critical, friends, because we need to start viewing discipleship or following God not as a checkbox or a task or as three easy steps to maturity, okay? We need to start viewing discipleship as a, a long-haul, multi-layered, refining, sharpening, shaping, transformational journey. In other words, there's no shortcut to maturity. I think that, that applies across the board. You talk about spiritual maturity, but you can talk about that and immaturity in all of life. But the journey to maturity happens as the truths of the gospel and faithfulness to God, they're, they're modeled and displayed and communicated in word and deed throughout the everyday activities of life. That's disciple by doing. That's kind of, that's what we mean by that. The, the, the sit and walk, the, 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 when you lie down, when you get up. 
So uh, an example of this that impacted me, um, I maybe have shared a little bit uh, in the past about this, but one of my favorite things as a kid, because I was born here in Minnesota, but then moved to California, and all my family still lived here. So throughout my years growing up, one of my favorite things to do was to, uh, my brothers and I would wash cars and mow lawns, and we would save our own money to buy our own plane tickets to fly back here. Like, we were, like, that intense about it. We, like, so badly wanted to come visit my grandparents. And so we would fly out here in the summers, counting down the days, and my grandpa would come pick us up at the airport. And some of you remember this from back in the 1900s when you could just go to the gate. Okay? So my dad would drop me off at the airplane, and then, you know, there you are locked in this metal tube for three hours, but then you get off and there's grandpa and you can just, just jump in the car and head right up to the lake, okay? So my grandfather and my grandmother would pick us up, usually me and my brother, and we would stay with them for three weeks or a month in the summer. And my grandpa, uh, I, you know, I don't know if it was just his natural way of doing things or he did this on purpose, but he was a come along with me kind of guy. And so everything he did, like his, his normal life for a month, when you're, when you're hosting someone for a month, you can't, like, you can't change your life for that long. And so at a certain point, he's like, hey, I got to go to the hardware store, get in the car. And, and so I just would go along with him with everything that he was doing. And I'll tell you, that come along with me kind of mentality, that's where you learn stuff is when you're coming along with someone in a relationship, someone that you love, care about, or trust, and when they're just, you, I got to watch him care for someone, or how did he treat somebody when we were at the store, or when someone was in need, he would just say, hey, come along with me, we're going to go pick up this thing and deliver it over there. And, and you get to watch it day by day. This is what's in Deuteronomy 6. Is this kind of, of um, he, he, like my grandfather, I, I, got to, I got to watch him how he treated people. How did he deal with difficulty? I got to see, I got to listen to him pray in the morning. Like when I was just sitting there at breakfast, right? And, and he taught me more than just skills. I caught a vision for faithfulness to Jesus. See, the, the, this, is why, this is what this passage is describing. And then honestly, this is what we mean by disciple by doing, is it's, more, it's as much about catching uh, what discipleship is as you walk day by day with those people who uh, side by side together as a church to see this central command lived out in the everyday things. And the central command here is very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Friends, let me be really clear. Loving God is the most basic, the most fundamental, the most important thing a human being can do. This is what you are designed for. This is, this is what will cause you to flourish. This is, what will, this is what you need the most. It's also what your family needs the most of you, is that you love God first. It's what your friends need the most. It's what your workplace needs the most. It's what this world needs the most for you and me to love God supremely with everything we've got. And then all else flows from that reality. There's a, a great theologian named Augustine uh, who described some 1700 years ago, described the importance of this when he talked about what he called rightly ordered love. See, we have many things that we love. 
We were actually made to love. God designed us that way to worship, to set our affection upon someone or something. And the reality is that we will set our affection on someone or something. But when we make a good thing, an ultimate thing, we've crossed over into idolatry. And so Augustine wrote an incredible book called The City of God. And in this book, he writes these profound words, so simple. He said, set love in order in me. That's like a prayer. God, set my loves in the right order. Rightly ordering what we love begins with God. He is supreme and all else flows from there. See, we could spend our time this morning talking about God's attributes, the sovereignty of God in history, the specific ways he's worked in your life or in my life or in our church. All these things would be cause for rejoicing and wonder and awe of him. We could talk about love as an action and not merely a feeling that we are to love God by obeying him. As Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We will get to these things throughout this next few weeks about loving God and all of those, those ways and about who he is. But when we get to those uh, uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength through this series, what I first want us to do is to consider, the, the, ask this question, why this Deuteronomy passage? And then as Jesus quotes this passage, why would they emphasize a whole life, wholehearted discipleship that encompasses all kinds of normal, everyday activities? And I think the answer lies in the rest of the account in Mark 12. So go back to Mark 12 with me. We're going to look at verses 32 to 34, where Jesus interacts now with this teacher of the law, this scribe. Now, as we look at this, did you notice that the, the teacher of the law here, the scribe, he added another dimension to what Jesus said. He like adds a couple words at the end. Look again at the end of verse 33. After he repeats basically what Jesus says, that God is one, that to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, is, uh, uh, and to love your neighbor is more important. This is the last, this is the last phrase he says that these things are more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Did you notice how, how he goes one level deeper there? The reality is, and Jesus says he, he answered wisely because this truth is actually sown in all throughout the Old Testament, especially the prophets. Let me just read to you two accounts of what the prophets say about this same reality. Hosea chapter 6 Hosea says, or God says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Like all of those physical sacrifices, are, they're, they're not the end game. They're supposed to point to something bigger. Okay, that's Hosea. Now listen to this one from Micah chapter 6. It's a little longer, but, but just listen to the exaggeration that's in this. I love it. Micah, Micah says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? 
Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. It's, it's, it's the heart transformation that matters. It's the, the living in obedience with that and consistency, integrity with your life and not the showy things that you can show up at the temple and say, look at, you know, look at me, I've got this perfect sacrifice to offer and the rest of your life doesn't match any of what you claim. And so Jesus says to this scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Okay, here's my question that I want to ponder related to that statement. What Jesus just described is loving God supremely and loving others sacrificially as the, the highest calling of what we can do. Like this is the command, love God with everything. Can we actually pull it off? Can you do it? In other words, are we missing something if we merely talk about the need to love God and love others under our own strength and without deeper change in us from the inside out? In other words, maybe the not far Jesus is talking about here is that something deeper needs to happen in this scribe's heart because he's still saying, look at me, I'm following the rules. See, the Bible is clear, friends. We need a new heart to be regenerated by the Spirit of God, to be born again, to become new creations. And if you want to start with this reality of love God supremely, it starts from in here. Let me read one, another prophet, Ezekiel 36. It's one of my favorite passages. Ezekiel foreshadows this reality. He, he, he declares it. Ezekiel uh, uh, is reporting what God has revealed to him, that God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The reality of obedience, friends, is that obedience is not something that you do to earn God's favor. It is something that you have the privilege of walking in because you're already loved by God and saved by him and live securely in your identity in Christ. And so because you're so loved, you get the honor and distinct privilege of loving God in return freely because of Christ's blood. You see, uh, Jesus emphasizes this in plain language. John 3, we, we studied it earlier in the Gospel of John. Jesus replied, and this is to Nicodemus, if you remember the story. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Or Paul, who says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, is, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Without the, the, the regeneration of your inner being, you cannot love God wholeheartedly. You can't love him supremely. You can't turn every desire and every attitude and every action towards the glory of his name. With, with the scriptures so clear that you're dead and lost and an enemy of God with a heart of stone. 
That it's God's spirit who gives you a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a heart that's directed towards God. And friends, we still struggle, okay? That doesn't mean that, uh, that, that that's perfect because sanctification, being made holy and directing your life towards God is also a process. It's not about perfection. It's about movement of your heart towards him. The big question is, who or what are you setting your affection upon? Is it God or is it someone or something else? And this is, this is why we're going to talk about a gospel-centered process of spiritual formation in this series in March, okay? And we need to embrace the, I'll call it the long-haul formational journey of discipleship. I was uh, just at men's retreat the last two days, and there's about 20 guys who are still up there at men's retreat, um, all like, you know, sore from playing floor hockey and like, I don't know, all kinds of things. We lost our volleyball tournament, by the way. Uh, so, but I had a fun time the last couple of days, and uh, on our way uh, on the, in the car, we had a really fun conversation, and um, we were discussing our uh, approach to discipleship, mainly because I was driving and the doors were like locked, we're in the car, and I had the cat... <laughs> I had the captive attention of a couple guys to test, test drive my sermon, okay? That's what happens when you ride with the pastor, I guess. Um, now, I was describing to, to, to a couple of the guys in the car this, the difference between a technical challenge and an adaptive challenge. And this helps me to just, like, put my mind in the right category, okay? A technical challenge or problem is something that has a ready-made, like, concept of what the possible solutions are. What color carpet are we going to pick? Well, it, we know pink wouldn't look good with these walls, but these particular shades do. Let's just pick one and move on. So you have a technical problem and you have a technical solution. It's, it's easy. It's usually pretty fast and you can, you can solve the issue and find a path forward. Now, an adaptive challenge is one that doesn't have a quick and easy solution. You must Enter into a learning process to find the answer. That's the difference. It requires growing. It requires changing. It requires charting a new path forward that is a new work that results in fundamental transformation. It takes time, and you must be patient, gracious, and persevere to move forward in an adaptive challenge. Being healthy physically is an adaptive challenge. It actually has all of these contours of what that means. But often, and this is where we get so distracted with our particular culture, is that we are often uh, 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 offered or sold shortcut answers to that. You could get like an infomercial, infomercial version of health that says, if you just do this one thing, then you're going to be fine. And the reality of physical health even is that it's an adaptive challenge that requires like the long haul process of eating right and exercising. And, and that actually takes perseverance. See, friends, one of my central concerns about the church in America is that we've taken the adaptive challenge of discipleship and we've tried to provide technical solutions like three easy steps to a great marriage. Or five tips for getting the most out of your devotions. Or the quick and easy path to spiritual growth. We want shortcuts to maturity. And somehow we've tricked ourselves to thinking that there's a life hack way to sanctification. But what does Jesus call us to in Mark 12? 
Or what does Moses describe in Deuteronomy 6? Or what does the whole New Testament tell us about walking in faithfulness to Jesus? It says that it encompasses your entire heart, soul, mind, and strength. That a love for God is to be impressed upon our hearts no matter where you go or no matter what time of day. That it's about a persevering. Let me say it clearly. A living faith is a persevering faith. Walking through the ups and downs and continually keep your eyes on Jesus. There's no shortcut to that kind of maturity of faith. And learning to love God supremely is a lifelong process of refining and shaping of our lives. It begins with that regeneration of our inner being by the Holy Spirit. And then it's a continual work of sanctification as we become more and more like Christ, seeing God wear new grooves in our lives, beat down new paths. And as those paths get trod over and over again, as you, as you walk in faithfulness, as you, you continue to read your scriptures, as you pray, as you learn all these things, the path gets easier to walk over time. We get to be shaped and transformed and walk in a different way. That we see God doing a work of our thoughts and attitudes and actions coming into alignment with what he has created us for. So this is what we're going to talk about in our series, that what disciple by doing is all about. It's about redeeming the everyday activities, every moment, every relationship, every bit of wonder at God's creation, and as an opportunity for discipleship and being an ambassador of God's goodness, his beauty, and his truth proclaimed in the gospel. It's about learning to love God with everything, realizing that, friends, he first loved us. I'll close uh, Augustine, who I mentioned earlier, in his uh, famous uh, writing uh, book called Confessions. This is what he says about this uh, uh, reality here. He says, O love ever burning, never quenched, my God, set me on fire with your love. You command me to be content. Give me the grace to do as you command and command me to do what you will. This is the heart of walking in God's love. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that for, for me and then for each one in this room a part of our church family, Lord, that you would convict and confront us with rightly ordering what we love. That the calling that we have as your image bearers, your ambassadors of your truth, is to love you supremely, love others sacrificially, and let everything else come in line after. Because that, that'll bring you glory but it also sets the right perspective for all other things. So Lord, I pray for these dear brothers and sisters that we would love you with all of our hearts, to set our affection upon you, and then to talk about that as we sit, as we walk along the road, as we lie down, as we get up. In every facet of life, we would talk about your beauty and your goodness and your truth to love you supremely in all things. Let us embody that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.